The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. All right. Hey, we're going to go get started. Um, first, I need to apologize if we ran out of coffee, because I think we did. Um, but we'll have two pots tomorrow. Okay, I can be loud. Okay. I hear you, Dervin. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to meet in here every morning except for Friday, and we're going to talk about all sorts of random things. Um, Tomorrow, we're going to talk about why people think youth ministry is a joke, and the next day, we're going to talk about uh, worldviews and talking to students about the existence of God. Um, This morning, we're going to be talking about critical race theory um, and intersectionality. Now, we almost did a breakout session like this last summer, but we figured probably it was too soon, and most people, it hadn't really made its way throughout the culture, but right now, I mean, this is, uh, our culture is um, obsessed right now with talking about race relations, specifically implementing critical race theory, and so what we're going to do this morning, the goal is to try to give you an idea of what critical race theory is, where it came from, what the implications are, what we can learn from it, and what the way that Christians need to respond, and I'll go and tell you, uh, personally, I think that uh, CRT is a, a Trojan horse, in that it's using really great language that we agree with, but they're interpreting them through a worldview that we disagree with fundamentally. All right. And that, because we need to understand that anytime you're making moral statements or moral judgments, you're doing so through the lens of whatever worldview it is that you believe, right? So if I say this is right or wrong, I'm doing so as a Christian because I have an understanding from the Christian worldview of what right and wrong are. Now, CRT and intersectionality seem super appealing because they're using language that every Christian agrees with, right? They're saying that um, we need to help alleviate oppression. We need to take care of those people who've been oppressed. Yeah, sure. Yeah, James tells us that, right? James, if you, uh, at the uh, chapter one and chapter two specifically, I mean, uh, at the end of chapter one says that pure religion is to take care of orphans and widows, Right, that's a that's a big deal. We're talking about marginalized, oppressed groups of people. Yeah, so of course we think, yeah, they're saying we want to alleviate oppression. Christians believe that, and we want to. They'll say, yeah, we're about justice. That all this language is about justice, and we know that God is just, and God is He is a just God. So, man, this must be good. But and that's where I want us to be careful. And I do want to say this: that it's really important for us, because um, I am I, to show you my cards. I, I I think that CRT is contrary to the gospel. I, I think it is. I think it is an embodiment of sinful partiality, and which is wrong, right? And but what we need to understand this is that we can't just throw that out and say this is terrible. Let's get rid of it, and not realize okay, there is a problem. Because we need to understand that racism is wrong, it's sinful, and we need to understand that all sinful partiality, partiality, sinful partiality is wrong. And so I think that we need to make sure, not that this is something that's good that we need to learn from, but I think it's something that's bad. But what it is, is that this is the world looking at, this is the, the culture we're living in, looking at, our, at the world that we're living in right now and saying there's a problem and this is their solution, when in reality, this isn't the solution. This is just the best they can come up with because they don't have the categories that we have as believers to really solve the problem. Right? Does that make sense? 
All right, so what is it? We're gonna get a little nerdy right here because we need to understand where it comes from. I want to think of CRT as an offspring of Marxism and critical legal studies. Now, it's fascinating. As I've been reading through um, all this stuff from people who are, who are proponents of critical race theory, in my mind, um, the way that I've been raised, I, when I hear Marxism, I automatically think this is a bad word. But you understand, for people who are holding to a Marxist worldview and a Marxist mindset that it's not a bad word it's just an adequate description of what they believe all right so let's think through that i'm not and i want to i want you to see this i'm not going to try to throw uh these people under the bus by just saying oh this is what they believe from an outside source i'm going to use their sources and say say exactly in their words what they believe all right um so uh the crt critical race theory is an offshoot of critical theory. Well, critical theory is this postmodern relativistic mindset that um, gained prominence in Western Europe in, uh, in the 60s and 70s, and the whole point was to deconstruct knowledge, right? And so they, the idea was that there, there, was no, um, there was no overarching meta-narrative that gave sense to the world. There's no central organizing principle of knowledge. And so what they did was that it, it got rid of any type of subjective, I mean, objective knowledge claim and said that it's all about the subject. They used terms like the, um, the death of the author and, reader and a reader response understanding of knowledge, right? So it didn't matter what's being communicated. All that matters was what you felt from it. Okay, does that make sense? And so now what they're doing, critical race theory. Um, now, the, the postmodern relativistic mindset lasted for a good 20, 30 years in the academic circles, but then it breaks down academically. It just, it, and it just doesn't, you can't just say there's no objective standard of truth because that is, right, an objective standard of truth. There's, you know, you can't say there's no such thing as a truth claim. Right, because you're making a truth claim. And you can't hold on to this subjective understanding of knowledge without applying it outward. And we'll talk about how they're doing that through race. And so critical race theory is just seeing the application of this postmodern mindset uh, played out in our, in our practical lives. And they're seeing it through a lens of race and culture. Does that make sense? Is that clear? If not, we can talk about that more later. And it employs something called standpoint epistemology. What I, again, think through this. There's no objective standard, so it's all about the way you perceive it. Is, right? Does that make sense? And so they're saying epistemology is the, our theory of knowledge and how we know things. And so that standpoint epistemology is saying that my perspective of the world is true. Right? See, it's all about what you think. Now, the problem with this is that this elevates your specific appearance or um, your, your experience to the status of reality. And what that means is then you, the, they're saying this leads to intersectionality because they're saying that only the person who is oppressed can adequately see the world in which we live in. And then when you get there, then it becomes, well, only the person who is the most oppressed. Because intersectionality, what intersectionality is, is it's a way of looking at everybody in the world to to see where they land on these different matrices of oppression. Look it up online, look up like matrix of oppression, and you'll see that they've, they've categorized everybody in about 12 different things, whether it's, um, whether it's race, whether it's um, sexual orientation or preference or age or ability, whatever. And, then, and what, the, what they're saying is only the person who's experienced the most oppression can adequately understand the world in which we live in. So standpoint epistemology, what it does is it insists that true knowledge is perspectival 
not universally observable. It means that it's, it's from the perspective of the, uh, the, the subject, right? But the problem with this is that it automatically takes what's subjective and makes it objective because they'll say that, yes, this is my experience, so this is reality, and then what do they do? Well, then they apply that to everyone else. So then you, so every, their focus is, well, what's your truth? What's your truth, right? And so you find out your truth and then automatically it then applies. Now you need to uphold what my truth is. See that? So even when, this is why the, this is why the postmodern mindset breaks down academically because even when you're saying everything's relative, then once you come to a conclusion on what your standpoint is, you have the ability to impose that on everyone else. Right, so it breaks down because then it becomes, again, another objective standard. All right, so, but, and this is more than just saying that we have different experiences, right? Perspective is important because you need to understand if there's real communication, you need to understand what other people are saying and what other people are feeling, right? You can't have any type of relationship, especially a marriage, right, without actually caring about someone's, uh, someone's perspective. But if you, I know that for me and for my, in our marriage, um, usually when we have a fight, it's because I've said something that was probably sarcastic and it has rubbed my wife the wrong way. Um, because again, I think sarcasm is the worst form of communication in marriage, especially, um, over text messages. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because if you say something sarcastic in real life, you have the voice inflections and facial expressions, and it's like, oh, I know it sounds like he's a jerk, but we're smiling, so it's fine. With a, a text message, it's just, oh, yeah, he's a jerk. So, um, but usually it happens, right, because of misunderstanding, right? Because someone will perceive, oh, that seemed offensive, and you're like, oh, I wish you'd said something because what I meant was this because I was thinking this and it's like, oh, okay. And then we, you come to an, an, an understanding. Yeah, but what, the, what CRT is doing, when you're seeing everything through the lens of the standpoint of epistemology, it doesn't matter the intent. What matters is the offense that's been taken. All right, we'll get into that a little bit. Before we do that, let's do some, I've got some biblical warnings I want us to pay attention to. This is talking about worldviews and spiritual warfare. So uh, in Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Right? What's, what should be our organizing principle in the way that we think and the philosophy and our worldview and our mindset should be God's word, not some sort of human philosophy. Right? Now, is that to say that all human philosophy, all human thinking is flawed and we shouldn't pay attention to it? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that what we what we needs to organize the way that we think is God's word, not some sort of wholesale adoption of a of a different worldview, a different philosophy. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13, we, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm and then combining the two ideas, spiritual warfare and human uh, philosophy and tradition, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is where, if we're believers, this is what needs to be 
organizing the way that we're viewing the world because what's happening is we do we're having a clash of worldviews because every time that you use language everything that you say is interpreted through your worldview through the foundational elements of what you believe and crt is fundamentally a marxist worldview and what and it's and marxism is that then again let's take it one, one step further down it's materialistic right they don't believe that there is an, a God. There is no outside supernatural that infuses any type of meaning into this world. So it's this closed box of Marxism, right? And so they have to see everything in material terms. Does that make sense? All right, and so they're saying that everything has to be material, which means that if there's a problem, then the solution has to be material. Do you understand that? That's why I'm saying that they don't have the tools to actually fix the problem. What's the problem? The problem is partiality. Well, even one step further, the problem is sin. And so the, if the problem is sin, and for us individually, we need to be thinking through, am, do I have sinful partiality? If so, then ask the Lord to get rid of that, to expose it, to confess it, and to not live in that, right? So the CRT has its home in Marxism. Right. And so it, it's talking about these Marxist ideals of the oppressed and the oppressor. And what they're doing is they're saying that everybody, every, no matter who you are, you are either in these different categories. You're either the oppressor or the oppressed. You're either the have or the have nots. And so the solution will be to take from those who have and give it to the have nots so that we have equity. So that everybody, and because they use terms like equity, because you think that's just like equality, isn't that good? Not necessarily, we'll talk about that in a minute. But because it's materialistic, they have to have their answer in complete material equality. Right? That's the goal. We take, whether it's, whether it's power, money, or resources, we take that from the oppressor, give it to the oppressed. All right, so here's some key assumptions of CRT. Now, again, this isn't me making this up saying, look how dumb they are. Um, this is from a guy named Richard Delgado. He's a critical race theorist in the University of Alabama. Here's, here we go. This is, and these are something that we need to pay attention to because CRT, hold, this is what they hold to as their foundation. One is that racism is the norm. Racism is ubiquitous. Everything is racist. It's and it's not individual. It's systemic. Now you can read what they're writing, and what they're writing is telling you that racism used to be defined by you having ill ill will or ill feelings towards someone else because of their race. That's the way people used to define racism. But now we know that racism is structural and systemic, and you are racist if you are profiting in any way from the system. Okay, see the, see the slight change? And there's a big difference, right? Because then, and it's crazy, I think that this is brilliant because it's setting itself up to not be able, so that you can't argue against it. And, and that's what's, that, to me, that's crazy because they're like, well, I'm not racist. Because they'll say stuff like, okay, for instance, my wife's half Mexican, and so um, I obviously love minorities because... I'm the only white person who lives in my house. You know, we've got my wife's half Mexican. My kids are a quarter Mexican. Like, and, but then someone say, well, that's fine. Like, you're profiting from that. It doesn't matter how you feel individually towards someone of an ethnic minority. You're a racist because you're profiting from the system. Because it's not individual, it's systemic. So there's no way to argue against that. All right, and then uh, the second is this idea of interest convergence. That an oppressor will only help the oppressed 
if there's something in it for them. I think this is, um, this is uh, short-sighted and has a poor understanding of history. We'll talk about that some more. The third is motivated ignorance. That is that the oppressors will dismiss any evidence of, against systemic racism. Again, how do you argue with that, right? Oh, well, I don't agree to that. Well, yeah, that's just motivated ignorance. See, you just don't know what you don't know. Um, next is structural determinism. Again, because it's Marxist, everything has to be material. So the, the effects that we're experiencing have to have material causes because that's all there is. All there is is the material. And then last is impact over intent. And this to me is so damaging, especially if we're looking for unity, and, right? Because they're going to say it doesn't matter if you meant that as a racist statement or not. If someone saw it as racially offensive, then it is racially offensive and you are guilty. Isn't that fascinating? But see how it makes sense when we, when we, take, when we take a couple steps back and we realize, oh, this is critical race theory is a, an offshoot of critical theory, which is, has gotten rid of any type of organizing principle so that the, the only arbiter of truth is the subject. Well, then this makes sense. You, do you see how it's all a working out of that mindset? Okay. So let's look at a couple different um, ideas. There's a book called uh, White Fragility that people love. And it is, I think that if you want to read it, that's helpful so that you can understand what's happening in the cultural conversation. But it is just, it's terrible. It's not good. Now, the, the, the focus to begin with is a white fragility is that white people have trouble talking about racism. And I get that. And there's a lot of truth to that. But then she'll go on to say that all white people are racist regardless of what they individually believe about ethnic minorities. And she's changing, she's changing the definition of racism. Again, you're a racist because you're profit, anybody profiting from the system is racist. And they'll say, and she's even changed uh, what she, she'll talk about white supremacy. She'll say that the America is a white supremacist nation. And she'll go, oh, you might be thinking of like the KKK. That's not what, what I mean. I mean that this, this idea, of racist, idea of race has covered the whole system. It's all systemically racist because white people are profiting from it. And it assumes that everything is a product of systemic racism. So the question isn't, is this racist? But for everything, in what way is this racist? And again, I'm not, I'm not making this, this is exactly what she's saying. You can, you can read through it and you'll realize, man, this is, I mean, it's terrible. And because she's, you know, a middle-aged white lady. It's so confusing. But here's, here's what we need to get from this. Yeah, I know. It seems hypocritical. Um, but here's the deal. This is the best that the world can come up with. Right? That's what I, I want us to point out that there is a problem. Right? Do we, is, does racism exist in America today? Absolutely. Does it exist in our churches today? Yes, absolutely. And is that sin? 100%. That goes against the, what the first chapter of the Bible and everything following it. Right? But this is the best thing to come up with. So we need, we need to realize, yes, there is a problem. And we need to understand where they're overplaying their hand. Right? This is where I get super frustrated because in, in the, people will say, oh, yeah, see, uh, America, this is, we're in the, since, since our founding, we've been systemically racist. And I think, okay, time out. Everything that's happened is racist in America, that you're, that's overplaying your hand. And, it's, and for me, it's easy to dismiss because it's obvious that America isn't 
as, that everything isn't racist. Look at the amount of millionaires who live in America who, have, who are ethnic minorities. Look at the amount of people, and you can read their studies on this. Look at the studies that show um, how immigrants to America from all over the world are doing better materialistically than people in their homelands. And they're here as minorities, right? And in my mind, that makes me think it's the opposite of systemic racism. And not to mention, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to, this isn't a cheap shot. We did like America, by popular vote, elected a black man as president for two consecutive terms. So to say that everything is racist and that this is a white supremacist nation seems to be an overstatement, right? But they're, they're trying to overstate it so they can, they can rally around. Look how big the problem is. So, but we can't say that CRT is wrong. There's nothing we can learn from it. Way too many Christians have dismissed CRT and then assumed that nothing is wrong. But what, what we do need to see is that there is a problem and that they see it. They recognize it. Right? But they're trying to see, treat the symptoms with a cure that not only doesn't fix the symptoms, it doesn't even come close to the root of the issue, which we know is sin and we need the gospel. Right? So when we look at the goals of CRT, I've already talked about this a little, but the goal is equity over equality. Right? For a believer, we strive for equality. Why? Because we believe that all human beings were created in the image of God and have eternal value. Right? Every human being was created for a relationship with their creator, and the blood of Jesus has provided a way of that, that reconciliation taking place. That's what we believe. So it doesn't matter what someone's uh, race, age, sexual orientation, um, any of those matrixes of oppression. Right? It doesn't matter who you are. You've been created in the image of God with eternal value. That's a big deal. Right? Because we're all eternal beings. And they, so the, the, but for us, that's what we would say equality. But for CRT, the, the goal is equity. Everybody needs to have the same amount of stuff. Bottom line, right? That's why we need reparations. That's why we need for, for people to give up power to give it to ethnic minorities. Um, and the goal is to, so the goal is to see who is the most oppressed and redistribute wealth material along those racial lines. And they say the goal is anti-racism, which I think is really just a reverse racism, right? So anyone who is oppressor needs to have their power taken from them and given to those who are the oppressed, which seems like all that we're going to do is create a perpetual shifting of oppressor and oppressed, right? Because if you and if you try to achieve equity, it's just not going to work. Marxism has never worked anywhere it's been implemented. All right. So we know that CRT is not a solution. And it's frustrating because they claim that they're trying to have racial unity. But the first step is to divide everybody based on color. Isn't that crazy? You guys understand that, right? The, the, the lens by which you have to see everyone is racial which is racism, right? It's, not, it's, barely, it's barely veiled racism. And in fact, it's crazy because we, you know, we went through a period where we were working through racial reconciliation in our culture and everybody was trying to say, well, you need to be colorblind, right? We don't see color, we see everybody as equal. But now, especially if you look at uh, a, a month ago, I think, around a month ago, the, uh, the diversity training for, um, for Disney, you guys remember this? It got leaked. And one of the top three things, I don't remember where it was, was saying that you can't say that you're colorblind. That's racist because you need to see everybody in their 
in whatever race or ethnic background they have. You need to see that first. That's who you need to see first. And you need to treat them based on their ethnic background. That's racism, right? I mean, you can't get away from it. And it's frustrating because it's fundamental. I think it's fundamentally anti-gospel. It's anti-Christianity. It's anti the imago Dei, the image of God. And it's fundamentally contrary to the civil rights movement. Right? You remember with, when Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, again, um, so apparently last year there was a bunch of FBI documents leaked out that made it seem like, well, not seem, that showed that uh, Martin Luther King was not exactly an upstanding Christian in his behavior, but, but the, the movement that he, that he founded was fundamentally Christian in ideology. Right? And if you haven't read through the I Have a Dream speech or lately or ever, you should read it. It's, it's saturated with Christian language. And look at what he said. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What's he talking about? Actual equality. Whereas CRT, the first thing that you have to do is judge someone based on the color of their skin. Isn't that fascinating? And then, in fact, that's the lens by which you have to see everything. That's why they call it critical race theory, right? And so... uh, Oh, shoot. I lost it. There we go. Boom. There we go. This is a, what I, at the bottom line is that this is, for believers, this is a test of biblical sufficiency. Right? Because do we believe that the Bible gives us everything we need, like what Paul says to second, in 2 Timothy, for life and godliness? Do we believe that? Or do we need to adopt some sort of framework that the world has in order to accurately understand the world? We believe that the Bible gives us all the categories we need to understand the world, right? We have it, right? The, the previous generation had a fight with the inspiration and authority of Scripture. Our struggle is with the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible gives us the categories we need. We see the world through creation, fall, and redemption, and ultimately restoration, right? Is there a problem? Yes, it's sin, right? But the sin, it's, it's out of order because we were created good. It was damaged through sin, and now we're longing for restoration in the gospel. And that, and that we need to understand, why are people acting this way? Well, sinful people are going to think and act sinfully. We get that, right? And so our goal is we do need to fight this at, at, the, point of, of, at the point of the battle that we're in right now culturally. Because some people will say, you know, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about race and racism. Why are we making a big deal of it? Well, because it's a big deal in our culture right now. And the Bible doesn't talk about it a lot of times, but what it says is huge, right? We're talking from the beginning, all human beings created in the image of God, right? And then we know that, in, that racial reconciliation has taken place at the, go- at the cross, right? In the gospel, we have ra- racial reconciliation. So there's now neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, but all in all and in all, right? Why is that? Then Ephesians, right? He, there was a wall of hostility dividing, and he tore down the dividing wall and is made from the two one, right? That's racial reconciliation. It has been accomplished. Now we need to live in light of that. That's a big deal, right? So how do we respond? One is we have to speak the truth warts and all. What I mean by that is that I, I'm, I'm a Christian, and, and our church is a Southern Baptist church, and I live in America, and I love it. Now, does that mean that Christians, Baptists, and Americans have no guilt on their hands as far as uh, racial uh, issues go? Absolutely not, right? But our past doesn't always determine our present. 
right? Do, do, and here's what's crazy. There's a book that you guys need to read. It's called, hold on, give me a second. Black Rednecks and White Liberals. <laughs> Black Rednecks and White Liberals. It's written by a guy named Thomas Sowell. He is about 90 years old. He is, uh, he's a black guy who grew up um, in Harlem and then became an educator. And I mean, he, it's just awesome because he's lived through the period of like most racial tension in the United States. And he's, he's awesome. He's such a clear thinker. I, and, and what he's talking about is he, in, in this book, it's a series of like five or six essays. And one of them, he's talking about the history of racism. And it's so important for us to, I mean, not racism, the history of slavery in America. And we need to realize that was, was America wrong and sinful with the institution of slavery? Yes. We're talking about, I mean, it's violating scripture. We're, these are people that have been kidnapped and sold as property. That's sinful. I mean, even in scripture, we say that it says in, that someone isn't supposed to be kidnapped and sold. And did we perpetuate that? Yes. But does that mean that America is still systemically racist? No. In fact, if you look at the history, and this is so important. Right, you guys know that uh, Britain was the first to abolish slavery, and then America came on next, and that there was tension in America because we, and this is why there was tension, because in our founding documents, we said that all human beings have been endowed with their creator with certain inalienable rights, like the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? You guys remember that? Well, that's fundamentally contrary to the institution of slavery. And so the tension was because we had a Christian mindset, a Christian ideals that were, that were going against what was happening in reality. You know that during the time of American slavery, that slavery existed all over the world in nearly every country, but that we don't see the tension there. Why? Well, because they didn't have a Christian worldview that was fighting against what was happening actually, right? The practical outworking. And when America finally realized, oh man, look at how we've been going against our founding documents and the Bible that we eradicated slavery. And did it stop there? No, it didn't. We, America and Britain then decided we're taking the fight out there. And you can, and so the history of slavery was eradicated in the Western coast of Africa before the Eastern coast, because we would send ships to go stop slave traders. Isn't that crazy? Because that, that goes against this idea of interest convergence, right? Did, 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 Europe, did, uh, did England and America profit financially from eradicating slavery? No. In fact, we, we, we expended millions and millions of dollars to do so. Why? Well, because we finally stopped and realized that our Christian ideals um, superseded the, the institution of slavery. Isn't that fascinating? So we do, but we need to, we need to speak the truth. Uh, except for Southern Baptists, Southern Baptists, the founding of the Southern Baptist Convention had to do with protecting people's rights to own slaves. Is that a good thing? No, I don't think so. But do I think that there's any other denomination that's doing more for the spread of the gospel in America and abroad? No, I think Southern Baptists are doing a great job. That's why I want to be a part of it, right? And so we, need to, we don't need to shy away. And we don't need to shy away individually. Have, I mean, I know that for my, my family... Uh, growing up, my, grand, my grandfathers were quite racist. You know, I heard words and language that my kids will never hear come out of my mouth. 
Does that mean that our family is systemically racist? No, of course not. Right. And then we need to we need to, so we need to be the first to ask God to search our hearts to find any sinful partiality and repent of it. I know that for me there um, I, I hold sinful partiality in my heart. And when I see it, I need to ask God to forgive me and repent, confess. And oftentimes for me, I don't think it's racially motivated. It's usually more economically motivated. I'll see someone on the side of the road that I think they're wasting their lives and they're selling drugs to kids in my community. And I look at them as if they're not human. That's sinful partiality, right? That's dehumanizing. That's going against the image of God that's in them. (coughs) And then we need to have and teach an intentional biblical anthropology, meaning that we need to intentionally, when we see every human being, realize that they are eternal souls, and that they have value because they've been created in the image of God. And we need to train everyone who we have the ability to teach to see others likewise. And what's crazy is our culture is crying out for a revolution because we need to overturn the system. But it's not going to work by overturning the system. It's going to work by individuals. And that's the, way that the, that's the way the gospel spreads. That's the way the kingdom of God moves is individually. Is that, you know, it's, it's a little leaven that leavens a whole lump. It's a mustard seed that grows into a huge tree. So we, just, we need to be discipling others about how the kingdom of God works and what our part in that is. And, and we need to just, we need to not deny, we, we, don't make up excuses for you or for your country, right? We don't need to make excuses. We just tell the truth. Have we made mistakes? Yes. And wherever we see those mistakes, We need to confess, repent, and change from that. And then we need to make sure that we individually are viewing people and pay attention to the words that you're saying, right? Do we, are we saying words that are dehumanizing image bearers of God? If so, that's sin. Are we holding things in our hearts that's dehumanizing someone made in the image of God? That's sin and we need to repent. And we need, to, we need to make sure that we're teaching a biblical worldview, that we are holding to a biblical worldview, and that we're teaching that to others. Right? And, then, and that's the only way, right? The only way that we're going to be able to, and it's not going to happen. Right? We, we're still going to live in a sinful world. But we, can, but we know that the only answer is not implementing some sort of human philosophy or man-made ideology. But the, the goal is the Christian worldview, seeing creation, fall, and redemption, <laughs> image bearers of God who need the gospel. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.